Welcome to a collaborative episode of From the Front Row and Share Public Health, two podcasts from the University of Iowa College of Public Health. I am Oge Chibo, a host from From the Front Row podcast in for Ian Bukta today. From the Front Row is a podcast produced by the College of Public Health students to share public health with everyone. By providing conversations in public health, we establish and emerging leaders in the public health sector. I am thrilled to be partnering with the Midwestern Public Health Training Center's podcast, Share Public Health, which connects you to public health topics, issues, and colleagues throughout through our region and the country. One of the major competences in public health is working in a team and interdisciplinary activities. So we always strive to share information from credible sources. Today, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Rima Afifi, who is a professor and chair of the Department of Community and Behavioral Health at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Through her work, Dr. Afifi works to promote social community and policy environments conducive to well-being. She's specifically interested in intervention and implementation science, working to encourage bridges between research and practice. So here's the interview between me and Dr. Afifi. Today, um, we have Dr. Rima Afifi coming back onto the podcast to talk to us about what's going on with the new novel coronavirus and talking about messaging from public health to the general public. So Dr. Rima Afifi, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast again. We really appreciate it, especially during this busy time. Well, thank you for asking me. Thank you. What do we need to think about when we craft a message to the general public that we want them to act upon? So that's a really good question. And, and uh, I am, you know, my sort of my discipline in public health is um, health behavior and health education or, you know, community health. It's often called different things, health communication, um, behavior change. And we, we really focus on the science of behavior change, particularly in relation to health. And there's a lot that we that the science of behavior change can um, can provide to help us think about messaging. So there's a few, I think, sort of key takeaways that I'd like to share. One is that we know that knowledge is really important, but is totally insufficient. So sending out a message that just has a fact, a factual in it, is important, but will not get us to the behavior change that we really all want, particularly in this current situation of COVID-19. That's one. The other takeaway is that we need to be sending different messages to different people because they're, each person or each group's motivation to change is very different. Each person or each group's, uh, and usually we focus more on groups than people, because that would be too many messages, millions and millions of messages. But um, you know, each group has certain um, aspects of the message that they will pay attention to or certain things that, that, will, that will support them to act. So sending out one message and expecting it to reach everybody is also unrealistic. That's the second takeaway. Um, I think the third takeaway is our sort of our understanding of what are the important things for behavior change. So other than knowledge, what do we need to do? So I'm going to be a little theoretical here, but only because we have tested these theories over and over and know that they're really important in the developing of the message. The first aspect is something that we call perceived threat. And that basically means that a people will not change their behavior if they don't feel personally susceptible to the particular health condition that we are talking about. So in this case, 
they need to feel personally susceptible to COVID-19. That means they feel like they personally can get it. The important thing about this is it's a perceived susceptibility. So that's why it makes, that's why it's an attitude and not necessarily knowledge, which means that, you know, a healthcare provider could look at me and say, absolutely, this person has all the characteristics that make her susceptible. But if I don't believe that, I'm not going to change my behavior. So it's a perception, right? We can influence perception in a variety of ways, but it really, it's the perception that matters. So perceived susceptibility is the first aspect of all this. The second is perceived severity, which means that not only do I think that I potentially could get this condition, COVID-19, but I also have to feel like if I do get it, it could potentially be serious for me, or it could be a serious, I could have a serious outcome. Um, if I don't have one or the other, I'm unlikely to change my behavior, right? So if I don't feel susceptible, there is no need for me to change my behavior if I don't perceive myself to be susceptible. And again, if I don't perceive that it's a serious disease, there's also no reason to change my behavior. Because if I get it, but it's not really going to influence me one way or another, why change, right? Behavior change is difficult. It always is difficult. So those are the first two things. We have to make sure that the messaging that goes out indicates a perceived susceptibility and a perceived severity. The combination of perceived severity and perceived susceptibility does create a potential perceived threat, which means now as a person, I feel like there's something that you know, could um, quote unquote threaten, uh, threaten my health, basically. That will get me to act. But the other things that are really important in messaging are two things. One is what we call self-efficacy, which means that whatever action we are trying to get people to do, they they are confident that they have the ability to do. So self-efficacy is my confidence in my ability to undertake a particular behavior. That's critically important. But the second part of it is what we call response efficacy. And response efficacy means that I believe that if I do the behavior, it will make a difference in my, in my susceptibility or severity, right? So Threat is important, but then response efficacy and self-efficacy actually drives the behavior change. So those are always sort of the things that we need to think about when crafting a particular message. I'm gonna just add one other thing that's important to consider. There is this um, theory that we use most in health communication um, called extended parallel process model. And the extended parallel process model brings together these four concepts that I've just been talking about and basically uh, helps us think through it in a way that is, um, I think, that we're more used to. So I think we all learn in biology that uh, biologically we all have a fight or flight response to various environmental uh, conditions. And basically what the extended parallel process model says is that there's two ways that our messaging can get people to go. Um, one is fear control and one is danger control, okay? So fear control is when I'm so scared, and this is why sometimes fear messages don't work. I'm so scared because you haven't given me self-efficacy or response efficacy, or I feel like it's just too scary for me that I either shut down and don't listen to the message at all, or I start to say, uh, this doesn't apply to me, or somebody's exaggerating, or you know, all those things, or I use, um, I, I use ways to sort of numb my emotions, which we also know aren't, you know, either through substances or things like that, that are also not, um, not the, the response that we would like people to go to. So that's the fear response, fear control. I mean, danger control is when, okay, I understand this, um, I know that I'm susceptible, and, but I, and uh, it could be severe, but I do have, um, tools in my hands 
that I feel I can implement. So we really want to be messaging to get people to danger control, to be doing the things that they, uh, they feel they can do and that will be able to control this, this threat. Um, and so I think that's sort of a broad sense of how we would message in any, um, in any behavior change, but now particularly for COVID-19. How do you think public health as a field has done so far in a messaging around our novel coronavirus response? So I, I first have to say that, um, you know, that the CDC um, particularly and uh, then globally the WHO and, uh, you know, the NIH and all these, these excellent, uh, just really amazing um, public health uh, structures have done an amazing job at getting the information out there. And in many ways, if you look at the extended sort of information that's being provided on those web pages, they are tailored. So if you go into the CDC, you can sort of click on a, you know, a, a button that tells you who's at risk, and then they have different messages for people depending on risk level. So I mean, I, th I think they're absolutely trying to um, implement uh, the types of um, sort of uh, messaging that we are talking about. I also think though that, they're, that in, in an effort to control panic, um, some of the early messaging, and we're also seeing this change. Um, one, I think we've been trying to send out general messages to everybody rather than tailored messages to particular groups in general, the shorter messages, right? Not if you, if you don't want to read pages and pages of stuff. So that's one. Mm -hmm. um, but then even when we are tailoring messages, because we're trying to control panic, we have missed out on the perceived severity. For, for a very, very long time, the message that young people were getting were, was, yes, absolutely, you could get this, but really, it's not a big deal for you in general. You know, if you're a healthy young person and don't have a underlying health conditions and don't have, um, you know, are not immunocompromised, you don't really have to worry about this. It's not gonna be, uh, it's not gonna be bad for you. And in that messaging, which I totally understand because I think we were trying to not create panic, but I do think that we, has, we have sent a message that will not lead to behavior change because, as we talked earlier, even if they feel susceptible, that's a question mark, but I think most people feel susceptible. They just don't think it's a big deal. So it's okay. I can get this. I'm going to survive. It's all right. I don't have to worry about it. Why do I need to change my behavior? Um, we are starting to see a little bit of that changing um, in the recent messaging over the last two days. So things are coming out that are basically, I mean, there's two levels of change that are happening around this messaging. One is the, the understanding that for people who are um, immunocompromised or have health conditions or are older, this is in fact a very serious condition. And so therefore everybody needs to act, if not for yourself, for others around you. So that's, that's a message that's been coming out that I think is helpful. Although that still doesn't necessarily have the self-efficacy in it, you know, can you do this, which I think we need to focus on. But then recently in the, in the last two days, we've also seen messages, particularly to young people that say, listen, even some young people are having uh, serious negative consequences. So I think, again, they're starting to change the messaging for young people. But that, that's the, I think the demographic that we most need to think very seriously about messaging to is people that are like young uh, adolescents, youth and young adults, um, because uh, I think they are a big part of the potential um, solution or the potential ability, our potential ability to flatten that curve. So what needs to be done better to help people understand the importance of listening to public health messaging? Yeah, so that's a big question. And maybe, I mean, maybe again, just to go back again to what do we need to do better and two. So I think that, you know, as I said, susceptibility and severity are important, but those other two things are very important. So messaging that is 
you can do it. You need to do it now. So first, the way that we also, the way that we send the message is important uh, being very, it's not people should, because people should doesn't mean me, right? right. You should is what we are like. Mm -hmm. Everyone, you should be able to do this. So that's one. The time aspect of a message is really important. So we need to say now, right? So you should do this now is really important. You can do it. So that's a self-efficacy and it will make a difference. You know, so those are the types of words that we need to be using in our messaging so that we're most effective at trying to get to behavior change. Um, in terms of what we need to do better to help people understand public health messaging, I think that in general, um, there's less understanding and awareness about the complexity of uh, communication and health communication. Uh, so a lot of people think that it's enough to send out knowledge and that it's a no brainer. You know, hey, if I tell people to, to, that this is dangerous, then people are gonna change their behavior. And I just, I think I, I need to remind us all, because for me, it's always helpful to think about myself and how I react in terms of how others would react. So we are, I mean, a lot of us are in the health sciences. We know absolutely what's important for us to do for our health. I mean, e even putting COVID-19 aside right now, just in general, like recommendations about exercising, recommendations about sleep, recommendations about eating, all these recommendations. We are in the health uh, field. We know absolutely what we are supposed to do. We have the knowledge. Many of us, I would argue, are not doing all the things that we know we should do. I know that I often don't sleep the recommended number of hours. I can tell you a variety of reasons why I don't, but just to make the point that knowledge is necessary, but absolutely not sufficient, and that we need to be thinking about creating healthy environments that support all of our ability to put our knowledge into action, and that's difficult. But the important thing about this is also, and I'm not getting quite to your question, but I will, is not to victim blame. I mean, once we understand that knowledge is not sufficient, then that helps us not victim blame. That helps us not get upset at people because they're not acting in a particular way. Once we understand that there are so many facilitators and barriers in the environment that either allow us to, to act on our knowledge or don't allow us to not act on our knowledge. So I think the first thing is one to understand that um, health messaging is very complex, takes a lot of effort, isn't something that we can just sit around and just like throw out a message without very carefully thinking about, I mean, even sort of a checklist. We're now starting to do this in the public health. Like, okay, the message that we wanna send out has to have aspects of at least susceptibility or severity or self-efficacy or response act. Like just putting that in front of us because it's so easy to just you know, be sending out a message that's a knowledge message only. The other thing is I think that when people think about public health, they think mostly about two things. They think about epidemiology and biostatistics, which are the basic sciences of public health and critical to everything that has happened so far. So epidemiology and biostatistics have been on the front lines of trying to figure out what this is and showing us numbers and graphs and simulations that we can understand, providing really concrete knowledge. People also often think about sort of health management, health policy, those types of things that what happens in the healthcare system. And also I think we need to be very clear that those are the people that are on the front lines of this particular epidemic and any epidemic are heroes, as we all are, are exposing themselves and their families um, in ways that, uh, you know, that not all of us are doing. So just to, to, you know, to be super thankful about all the work that's happening there. But they often um, um, forget about the two other parts of public health, which is occupational and environmental health um, and uh, community and behavioral health, which I'll talk about in a minute. And so often uh, people around will sort of uh, automatically turn to uh, our colleagues um, and experts in epidemiology and health services. And 
that is absolutely an, an important um, component of this of this response. Um, but uh, but also thinking about those other aspects of uh, you know uh, of public health are really important and reaching out to people in health behavior um, uh, to understand sort of what is important in messaging is critically important and also sort of an occupational and environmental health because such such so many of our health problems are quite based in creating healthy occupational and environment and in environments in general. So to, to think about the broadness of public health, and that's the beauty, I think, of public health. Um, we often say public health is everywhere, right? Um, and there's skills uh, that we each bring to the table, and which is why, as a college of public health, we work very closely together in, um, you know, in thinking about any problem, because every one of us has a particular part of the, uh, of the, of the solution um, uh, as well. Do you have any other thing you'd like to add? Yes, I, I, I do want to sort of, I, I know that we've been focusing a lot on sort of what does it take to change behaviors. And that, mm -hmm. as we've said, is a, is a really critical component of our, our ability to, um, to be able to manage this particular epidemic, so COVID-19. COVID and, you know, just to reiterate, I think, the, I think people know what the, what the behaviors are that we really need people to, um, to, to um, apply. You know, what, what we mean when we say social distancing is more physical distancing, and it is not social um, disengagement. In fact, we need to continue to remain socially connected even more in situations like this. And so I would urge people to, you know, to just get up to, to speed on those. And I think people know by now have heard the sort of the recommendations. Um, and, you know, of course we need to get better at messaging, but I think people know the recommendations. But what we often don't talk about is that um, not every group of people or not everybody can, um, has the same, um, uh, facilitating environment in which to implement these interventions. So whether it's groups that may not have access to soap and water, whether it's uh, in the United States or internationally, um, people who have particular mental distress for which the social distancing um, recommendation becomes particularly difficult and you know how do we create opportunities, tools, messages to actually ensure that um, you know, that, that we are keeping connected and, and keeping, um, you know, have, I guess, um, uh, tools in our hands that we can support everybody. Um, this is a very, all, many of these recommendations are gendered in that particularly the shutdown now that we're seeing all over the world and in the United States of schools and um, of schools and other, you know, daycares uh, often um, adds burden to women more than men. Um, so just to keep that in mind, of course, not in all families, but in some families, the shutting down now of restaurants and bars, particularly um, painful, I guess, or difficult for many of us that work on sort of hourly basis and, and need that income desperately. So again, to think through what are some of these basic needs that we also need to be paying attention to as we're sending through these messages? What are the potential disparities that may occur um, during this period um, based on some of these messages. Um, and we do have families that are, or people that are living in family situations that are not ideal. And, you know, being, we, you know, being in a same space for a very long time is difficult and may also increase the rates of, you know, domestic violence, etc. So that is not to take away from the critical importance of these behaviors that, that, we, that, that will that will be critically important to flattening the curve and even 
hopefully not even not just to flatten the curve flatten the curve means we have the same number of cases but just over a longer uh, period of time which is very important for our ability to to manage them but we hopefully can also decrease the number of cases so the, both of those things i think are important but um in the messaging to continue to think about um you know how do we how do we create environments that um continue to uphold health and well-being of everybody in this process and think about strategies to support even further um, uh, you know those of us that 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 have particular circumstances that make it difficult for them to implement these behaviors all right thank you so much thank you so I hope you guys really liked this interview. Um, thank you to everyone who keeps the economy going, from those who stock food, drive trucks, to those who work in hospitals, our health professionals, home health aides, people who work with their hands, first responders, or are in public health, and many more who I haven't called out. But all of you are heroes and we appreciate you. From all of us to you, we say a huge thank you. So thank you for joining us today. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Rima Afifi, and to members of our planning committee. This episode of From the Front Row and Share Public Health was hosted by Oge Chibo. You can let us know what you thought about this episode and series at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. That is cph-gradambassador S-S-A-D-O-R at U-I-O-W-A dot E-D-U. You can find us on Facebook at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. We're on iTunes and Spotify as well as the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Funding for this podcast is provided by the Health Resources and Services Administration. Please see the podcast notes for an evaluation and transcript. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. See you next week.